0: Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today we're talking to Commissioner Summer Mersinger. Summer is a commissioner at the CFTC, and we're talking about what is that organisation what's its role and what are some of the key challenges it sees in regulating the commodity markets in a period of energy transition and rapid market development as always you can support the show by please leaving a review on the platform you're listening on and i hope you enjoyed the episode summer welcome to the podcast
1: thank you i'm i'm excited to be here
0: okay so we're talking about the CFTC, the Commodity Trading Futures Commission, its remit and also what are the key challenges or questions that it's, that it's confronting right now. Before we go too far for the benefit of our, of our global audience, can you just explain what the CFTC is and its remit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I do have to start with a standard disclaimer um, that the views I express are my own and they do not reflect the reviews of the commission and my fellow commissioners. With that, uh, just kind of a little background on the CFTC, which is a Commodity Futures Trading Commission. We oversee the derivatives markets. So, we're really looking at the the futures markets and how those markets are functioning, um, what they're meant to do, you know, offer price discovery and, and and hedging functions. Where the agency started was actually in agriculture commodities. So originally we were a division under the U.S. Department of Agriculture. As the agency grew, it, it made sense to kind of spin it out of USDA, but that's kind of our our background. So we do talk a lot about agricultural commodities and the commodities futures on agricultural products, although it is a very small percentage of the markets we oversee at this point. Um, And as the market regulator, we are really working with the exchanges, the market participants, the end users to make sure that that the markets are running smoothly, that there's significant capital to ensure that they are are safe, that they're liquid, and to kind of protect the overall system.
0: There's a lot in there. What is an in, by being an independent government agency? What does that actually mean, and and where does enforcement sit?
1: Yep, absolutely. So we actually, you know, if you're if you're looking at a government you know if you were to to look at kind of the how does this all fall you know we we do report to the the president so it's it's not a you know agency under any of the the other departments so we're we're led by a five person commission um and it's a bipartisan commission with at least three of the commissioners have to be the party of the president As commissioners, we are um, we're nominated by the president and we're confirmed by the Senate. Our oversight committee in Congress is the House and Senate agriculture committees, which is very unusual for a financial regulator. We do have an enforcement division. It's a civil enforcement, so we're not enforcing any criminal penalties here or criminal statute. It's all civil. They're within our, within our agency as well. And so we, while we have this regulatory piece and rulemaking piece, we also have enforcement and so a lot of times we'll working with maybe the department of justice with the SEC maybe with the state's attorney general bringing other you know they may be bringing the criminal charges but it is it's a pretty robust enforcement program
0: And and the fines. Just staying on that a moment, because obviously Mm -hmm. the fines are quite fantastic in terms of scale, and you know there was recently a a payout to a whistleblower under the whistleblower scheme of some two hundred million or so. (laughs) I mean, an incredible amount. And and interestingly, from the 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 commodity trading community, I think they feel, or the the general sentiment would be, one of that the CFTC is very active compared to oversight over other industries, and actually, you know, has a very consequential role to play, and, and is is um has has certainly has teeth.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. If you look at some of our more recent settlements, the whistleblower claims that come with it you know, it, it is a very, we have a very active enforcement division. It's the largest division at our agency, actually. I would say, you know, it probably a third of our staff are in the enforcement division. So the idea is these markets work when people, you know, follow the rules and know that, if you don't follow the rules, that someone's going to catch you, you know. And and so it's, it's a little bit of deterrence and hoping that people are seeing that we're watching and that, you know, if we see something, we are going to catch it and we are going to bring a case. We have a very active whistleblower program for the same reason. So we get a lot of kind of insiders who see something and, and bring that to our attention through our whistleblower office. And I would say right now for personally as a commissioner, I think almost ninety percent of my work is really reviewing um, enforcement matters. So we are we are a strong market enforcement agency mm. in addition to, you know, being a regulator.
0: How do you obviously the commodity markets are, are very much global and you know price some prices are set outside the United States, outside of those exchanges, the CME or whatever it might be. How do you, you know, what are your equivalent agencies in the other commodity trading hubs and and what is the interaction between those agencies?
1: Yeah, we work very closely with our international counterparts. So whether it's FCA in the UK, um ESMA in, in the EU. We just did in our open meeting last month, we just did a capital comparability determination proposal with the Japanese security clearance. So we have to be in constant contact with with our kind of sister agencies in other countries, but we figure out, okay, who's the equivalent regulator in this country? And a lot of times we have MOUs with other country regulators. We work with some international bodies that, that, you know, kind of try to look at these markets more globally. A lot of times on the enforcement side, you know, if we have to get information or subpoena someone or get bank records in another country, we can use our MOUs to cooperate um, with their Kind of enforcement divisions to help us get the information we need to bring our case. So we have a very robust international uh, cooperation with with counterparts and and it and again that's another unique thing about our agency. When you think about financial regulators, uh, um, a lot of our financial regulators are really just looking at the U.S. financial one
0: sort of the, stuff. so. One of the things that strikes me about the commodities sector in general is that it is, the last 20 years has been characterized by rapid, evo- rapidly evolving markets, rapidly evolving um, opportunities and led by private companies, right? We think about the power markets and the gas markets and one of the things that you you, you mentioned uh, the last time we, we met, obviously regulators by their nature are backward-looking. How does that circle get squared in terms of, you know, for for lots of the trades that were developed at, you know, God forbid I mention Enron, but you know, um, some of this stuff just didn't have clear regulatory guidance attached to it at the time. How do, how does that work? I mean, and that's going to be relevant right now as we talked later on about cryptocurrencies and where they sit. But how do, how does how does that work?
1: Yeah, it is. It- it is tough because regulators are always looking at the previous crisis and trying to figure out how to prevent that from happening. And, you know, we, it could be things evolve so quickly that, you know, what you were looking at from before it's, it doesn't even exist anymore. You know, everybody's moving in a different direction. So sometimes you have to take a step back and look at, okay, here are, the regulations. And and the CFTC, because we are a market regulator, our, our regulations are more, we call it principle-based, where we don't have prescriptive rules for how things have to work. That gives us a lot of flexibility when we're looking at something new and changing. Okay, you know, what is it we're looking at? How does this principle apply here. So I think some of it is having that flexibility. So some of it is having some regulatory flexibility, or at least rules that give some flexibility to the markets and to the space to evolve, become more efficient, become more effective. And I think the other thing that we have to do is, you know, yeah, we need to learn the lessons of the past, and we need to see what worked and what didn't. But we can't stop looking ahead we can't stop learning about new markets about what's what's going on one thing we we do that's unique at the cftc at least the way we approach our advisory committees is unique so a lot of government agencies have these advisory committees um, and they're really just industry stakeholders that help advise policy and i think some of the other agencies it's more of a um just kind of a ceremonial type thing where we actually are very intentional with our advisory committees. A lot of our rulemaking actually comes out of suggestions that come from our advisory committees. And so it really is stakeholders helping us write the rules of the road or look down the road and see what regulations might need to change or need to be put in place. And that helps us stay ahead um, and and look look down the road a little bit, but we also need to be talking to stakeholders and those in the market, saying, okay, what's going on now, and what's going to be coming up, and what should we be thinking about or looking for. And so I think that's really the way we try to, you know, as you said, kind of complete that circle is, you know, just really work hand in hand with people who are working in these markets day in and day out um, and Mm. not kind of become too insulated. You know, we always people in D.C. always joke about the inside the beltway mentality where you only know what's going on in in this little, you know, our little world in Washington and you don't know how things are impacting people in the real world um, where our agency is very deliberate in going out and saying, "Okay, how is this impacting you? what do you recommend how can we how can we do better um and how do we make sure we're these make sure our markets are strong and resilient you know moving forward
0: mm. and how do you just as a public service announcement you know how do you how do you get on those those advisory boards
1: so that's a good question um like everything in the government it is a process as a commissioner we get to sponsor one of the five advisory committees so at the cftc we have a agriculture advisory committee we have a global markets advisory committee a market risk committee a technology committee and an energy and environments committee and the membership you we we put out a solicitation in the federal register and usually there's a certain you know usually there's a 30-day period for people to apply and i know we just finished this for so i have the energy and environmental markets advisory committee so i have kind of a core committee but i also have an associate committee and we just finished we're just finishing that process where we we published it in the federal register, ask people to apply, send, they can be nominated, they can nominate themselves, send in their information. And then we go through and look at, you know, who's applied, what their background is. And then we have to balance views. So you can't just have a one-sided advisory committee. You have to have multiple views kind of across industry. Each of these committees have different terms. It might be a three-year term. It might be a one-year term. You can also go on the CFTC's website and go to advisory committees, and it shows you all the advisory committees and which ones are currently looking for members. It's a little bit up to the sponsor within certain parameters of, of balancing views.
0: And city question: Is it? Are you are you on the board as an advisor? So as, as an individual,
1: you're representing your company, and that's kind of how we look at it. For balancing, they're really providing insight and advice based on their industry and their company and their background. And we also have like interest groups. We have usually, you know, some public interest groups. We have academics. So you can also have other government agency experts on the advisory committee as well.
0: Perfect. Okay, so. And that does, you know, raise an interesting question. I guess we will we can wrap up with our next segment about where the remit lies. And, you know, so we talked about sort of what are sort of, you know, three things that are, are facing the CFTC today. We've covered on a previous episode we've done in, together in a panel, the, the challenges around margin calls and liquidity and so forth. So the, the first one that you actually raised was, and then this ties in with what the SEC's proposed uh, rulings about disclosures on this subject is, energy transition and something that this phrase yes. transition risk, which is quite a nebulous one. And and it ties in where, you know, the SEC comes in, where the FERC comes in, where well, the CFTC's role is in all this. But what do you mean by transition risk? And how is the CFTC thinking about this in the context of stable markets? Right.
1: I think where, where I look at transition risk is kind of in the broader discussion of financial risk due to climate change so we've had a lot of focus on that in the last few years of what will climate change mean financially for for industry for the financial sector and while I you know I think that's an important focus, I think sometimes people, get too far ahead and they forget that there's going to be some financial concerns in that transition period. So going from fossil fuel reliance to renewable is not an overnight thing. You know, it's gonna take time and it's going to cost money as well. And so this idea that there's going to be some risk to the financial system in trying to make that move. And what's interesting with our markets is, you know, we have a number of traditional energy futures markets um, got oil contracts, we have natural gas contracts. We kind of have some of those traditional physical commodity um, in the energy space, but we also have some of the new contracts, some of the Voluntary carbon contracts and um, a number of kind of environmental indexes. So we're kind of in this interesting spot where we can see both markets and and how they're reacting. And for me, I when I look at our our futures markets, I think they're going to be important tools for for industry during this time of transition. So being able to try to hedge some of the risk of supply and cost it's going to be important and so we we want to make sure that these futures markets are liquid that they that they are available that companies can use them to hedge but at the same time you know our markets are sensitive to kind of on the ground everyday occurrences um so so our futures markets are very sensitive to the physical spot market. And what happens in the physical spot market is, is also of interest to us. And so one of the things that, that we're probably gonna look at with my advisory committee is, as we are trying to move towards more renewable energy, we're seeing less and less investment in some of the traditional energy infrastructure. And as that investment you know, goes away or or starts to shrink, that gets more and more difficult to, one, access the needed physical supply and just continues to increase that cost. So, you know, what is that going to do to the, the futures markets moving forward as we have these kind of disruptions on the physical supply side due to lack of investment in infrastructure? It is just this period of time where you know it's going to be tricky moving from fossil fuels to renewables and there's a lot of financial risk in that period of time that i think gets overlooked occasionally
0: so yeah uh, it's it's fascinating we we, you know as as markets shrink they degrade and they become more volatile right we've said that quite a few times on this on this show so the you know what i guess what are the tools available for you to to remedy that you know and and where does it fit within if it does indeed fit with the cftc's um, remit to be able to say look obviously you can increase margin requirements and so forth or you know but it also seems that in that transition new markets need to be changed and and managed as well i'm thinking like okay power markets for example um as the world becomes more localized more distributed generation that's going to change the nature of how these grids operate as well i mean how 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 sort of far along is the thinking on on what this transition risk represents to all of the commodity markets
1: right and i i i think part of the concern is i i don't know how far, i don't think it's very far along um i think we need to be further along in in trying to understand this you know are there things that we can do as a regulator, or you know, our markets can do to ensure that there's adequate liquidity, ensure that that people have a reason to participate? We've talked, like you said, we've talked about margin. You know, is it does margin become you know as these become more and more volatile, does margin become a problematic for people who are are trying to, you know, hedge their price in a market that's that's moving constantly and and rapidly. So, I think right now we're really in the kind of fact-finding stage of what do we need to be looking at? What what problems are are coming and what are some what would be some potential solutions? And It is a little bit different in the futures market because, you know, we can't just say like, well, our solution is we should go build more pipeline. That's not our role. Um, We're not that regulator. We don't, we don't, you know, approve pipeline permits. You know, it might just be something where, you know, it, it might be a change in the way a contract is settled. You know, there might be more, something more substantive we can do on the rulemaking side, um, but right now, we just we just need to be thinking about it, looking at it, and talking about it. Um, and, and I think that's kind of, the the place we're in right now is really just a fact fact finding stage.
0: It's almost upon us already, though, right? I think yeah. you know um, we we're already looking at highly volatile markets just as a consequence of three years worth of oh, well, you know, okay, let's say a decade's worth of underinvestment in hydrocarbons and. Already we're seeing, you know, that, I mean, the dramatic consequences in Europe of the of the sanctions on Russia and the immediate tide to food prices. We've had a couple of episodes on this recently with Doonberg. Energy security, energy inflation is already sort of prevalent on, I mean, but is there, I, I, I don't know how much you can talk to this, but is there, do you think at the political level, a recognition that, energy transition, you know, has these negative consequences as well in as we go through it?
1: I think you're starting to see more recognition. Certainly, some of the kind of geopolitical circumstances has highlighted that and really brought attention to it, where I do think there was almost a, it was easy for politically to say, you know, we need to be, we need to move away from, from fossil fuels and move and move towards this cleaner energy and, and everybody, you know, should be headed in this direction. That was a very easy kind of political place to be. But the current situation highlights the fact that it's not that easy and and we aren't there and we can't just make this transition. And so I think people are starting to realize that, We've got to figure out a more practical way to do this it's going to require us to to rely on a lot of these traditional energy sources that we have in the past and that you know some of this is going to take can we have a cleaner way of of gathering this pr- producing this um, energy can we find locations around the world where they're going to do it you know with with better technology and more, and a, you know, more environmentally friendly and in less kind of political turbulent areas. So I do think current times have definitely kind of got people realizing that, that we do have to really focus on this now.
0: The HC Insider Podcast is brought to you by
1: HC Group, a retained search, intelligence and advisory firm Focus solely on the global energy and commodity sector, with six locations across Asia, Europe and the Americas, and over 50 consultants. To find out more, go to our website, hcgroup.global. There, you can also sign up for our HC Insider content for more interviews and white papers on relevant trends and talent impacts in the commodities world.
0: Where does so? There's a lot of narrative out there, and it makes sense to me that if we can give carbon a price, you know, that removes some of the uncertainty around investing in much needed hydrocarbons on this transition journey. To date, the US, you know, at the federal level hasn't taken this on. You know, we're seeing obviously a, a, this, there's obviously demand out there. You can see that in the uptake of voluntary credits. Where does the CFT, you know, is, is that on the agenda? Is the CFTC looking at voluntary credits? You know, what, where does that sit? At,
1: at the current, like currently, what we look at is the futures contracts on some of those carbon credits. And and there are a number of them. So how are these markets working? And whether or not there's concerns with fraud and manipulation in the spot market as it relates to our futures market, I do think there's some interest, and, and I've talked to folks on the Hill about this you know, of okay, part of the a voluntary carbon market is only going to work if there's some sort of consistent validity to these contracts. You know, who's going to come in and say, like, yes, this is an adequate measurement of, of the carbon that either you're reducing or you're admitting and that over its life cycle, it's going to produce this much carbon or, or you know, absorb this much carbon. You know, there's really not, there's some, there, there are some kind of standard setting bodies that, that have popped up, but I think a lot of individuals want to see maybe a government validator of sorts or a government agency overseeing the validators and so I know there's some interest there and look at the CFTC as as a potential um, agency to do that but it's it's tough because there's just so many questions around carbon capture and you know how you're going to ensure that you know that the same person isn't isn't getting credit for the same project and it would be a big undertaking. Um, And so I'm, I'm kind of in the, you know, let's, let's see how this goes. Let's see how, how private industry does with it. I I like market-based solutions over government solutions, but there is definitely this question and interest in, you know, would the CFTC be the right place to kind of oversee some of the carbon spot markets specifically around kind of validating these these
0: mm. credits yeah i can i can hear certain people screaming at the uh, the speakers right now yeah. saying <laughs> keep out yeah um, exactly but uh okay so transition risk i think is one that is going to play out more and more as you know especially with the sec filing requirements coming online and and, and obviously this degradation of markets through lack of investment is going to create incredible volatility which is going to cause a fair few headaches i imagine for companies and the cftc alike the the other one and and tied to this that you've highlighted is that a lot of is is around critical metals and you know a lot of energy transition is reliant especially the electrification of everything is reliant on rare critical metals that for the most part at release right now are mined and processed in china you know, most of these are, have are not traded markets. There are the emergence of long-term, longer-term contracts, supply contracts, and some spot trading going on, minuscule amount in lithium and a few others. But the, that you, you know, you've highlighted that as as an area of where the CFTC are are looking at and thinking on. Can you just talk to to us about that a bit?
1: Yeah, I think it, it's interesting because I I think the metals markets have have been kind of a maybe a footnote a little bit in the CFTC's jurisdiction or just you know, kind of the futures markets more generally. But I think they're gonna take a, a center stage here. How are you going to get adequate price discovery? I think having robust futures contracts on these metals would be a really useful tool, tool for industry um, and just generally so that there's some transparency and um, you know, we're, we're seeing some of the data, and, and we've got some sort of regulatory oversight on it. So I think there's there's certainly a role to play, and I think we'll see these markets become um, just kind of a have a bigger role. But there are some of these metals that are, are necessary that you know we might not have contracts on. Um, I hear, people talk about the the fact that you know the supply just isn't there the length of time you know if you are going to mine for these metals the length of time that it takes to get that online and and get the get it into the supply chain the supply side of this is really tricky and just trying to understand okay where could we have robust futures markets on, on these metals? And given the importance of them from everything, from an electric vehicle to a windmill, it's all of the renewable energy relies heavily on these on these metals. And so I think it's they're gonna become really important markets. And so again, it's kind of fact-finding, trying to figure out what do we need to know? What do we need to look at? What's going on now? what might go on.
0: Mm. And a lot of this is also chemistries. Some, a lot of it as well is in such tiny quantities that it could be very highly volatile, you know, markets attached. But again, as you say, it's um, is there an advisory board set up for this? I mean, no, where, where is this?
1: that's what's interesting. There's not. And so I'm kind of taking it upon myself as having the Energy and Environmental Markets Advisory Committee to add metals to that because I think it easily falls in under both environment and energy and, you know, where it really, I I don't think people were talking about, you know, nobody was really talking about this when you talked about energy production and and energy usage over the last, you know, 20 years, suddenly this is an important piece to the puzzle. So I'm kind of taking that under, you know, under my advisory committee because of its importance um, to the, the two topics.
0: And because it does seem, I mean, we've had some guests on this podcast that I, I think would contribute well to that, um, that advisory committee. I mean, it, it does seem this is gaining, at least at the political level, um, an understanding of its crucialness in terms of security, of supply, and, you know, that uh, the the US and, and Europe in particular are, are quite far behind, and we aren't going to meet our... Um, energy transition goals without securing supplies of these metals and securing them from either domestically, which has its own challenges we've seen going on in Colorado and Utah, where there's been big societal pushback against, you know, mining of these rare earths, but also, you know, from, dare I say it, countries that are more allied to our interests than perhaps China has, has demonstrated. So okay so um the the final one that is in, time is marching on which is fascinating is obviously cryptocurrencies blockchain technology and just this explosion of not only just different currencies and so forth but also use cases and almost you know exchanges started to be talked about that are powered by blockchain utilizing that power of transparency and 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 fidelity that it that, that it, it has and also tied to in particular when it comes to commodities being able to solve for some of the challenges that the current exchanges have, which is you know we 're not talking about provenance and and so forth and sustainability attributes, which a blockchain technologies could easily incorporate and make efficient to trace and track, and we're starting to see that you know with some of the miners and so on, but of course we're, this is such a new technology that we 're still at a debate whether it 's a security or a commodity right yep. <laughs> the, the yeah yeah no are... it's
1: it's tricky you know it's funny if you kind of talk about the top three issues faced by the CFTC CFTC I think some days it's crypto crypto and crypto because um, it seems to be um, what I sucking the oxygen out of the room um, and it's a legally fascinating space because you could put almost anything any financial instrument really anything and make it a digital asset and put it on the blockchain so I, I often get questioned like, well, can you guys just put it, make a list? List everything that's a commodity. The SEC will list everything that's a security, and and then you guys can move on, go upon your way and and regulate. It's not that easy. Might not be either one, or it, it could change the 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 underlying assets or or algorithm or whatever can change, and and it could move between a commodity or a security, and so it is it is very tricky to say, okay, who's regulating this space? I would say in the United States right now, just basic purchasing and selling cryptocurrency. There's not somebody who is overseeing those entities that are the exchanges and markets for these these assets, there's, there's, they do not have a specific regulator. Some of them are registered in states. I know um, New York has done a good job of of trying to come up with kind of some state law. Wyoming as well. So there are some states that that have built systems to to try to regulate um, these markets, and they they can register within the state. But if, as far as if someone thinks that there's a federal regulator looking over these markets day in and day out. They're just not. So, so um, and that
0: that's is a fac- concern. Yeah. So so just to understand that, right? So at the moment, you know, we're looking at, say, I don't know, Coinbase, right? Or, you know, no one is sitting there. There's no – the SEC nor the CFTC has eyes on that to work out whether there is – um, that is a functioning exchange when it comes to trading Bitcoin, for example.
1: you know, for the cftc we we are kind of limited in our ability to go after fraud and manipulation in those spot markets where we have an existing futures contract. So you know we have there are futures on Bitcoin. So if there's fraud and manipulation in Bitcoin, we can go, you know we can we can use our enforcement authority there, but we we can't go in and do any sort of examination of these or audits of these companies because we don't have that regulatory oversight. Because they're
0: in the Philippines or something like that.
1: Right, right, exactly. And so I think, you know, there are efforts, there are a lot of efforts and a lot of, we've seen a lot of legislation coming from the Hill that's trying to make this, you know, set up a system where companies can go in and they can become a registered entity. So we have that kind of insight into the, the markets and then we become their regulators. And then and then there's some federal preemption that goes, you know, there's some kind of carrots for the industry to do this, right? Like they don't have to have a money transmitter license in every state, you know, if they get registered with a federal agency and there's federal preemption. So there's certainly some advantages for for these companies to do this. What's tricky is when you get back down to the actual product, even if you are a registered CFTC exchange, but you are, you are, you have a security, you know, the SEC has that jurisdiction. And so, you know, we do share jurisdiction in some, some spaces, but I think everybody is saying, wait, I don't, you know, I'm going to go to this regulator register, go through their whole process and then have the SEC come in and say, wait, what you're doing is illegal because you're, you've got a security and you're not registered with the SEC. So that's where a lot of the, the ambiguity or the, you know, that's kind of the rub here is that right now, the way the law stands is if the SEC determines something as a security, then we don't have any jurisdiction.
0: It's over to them. And and as we know, Mr. Gensler is obviously very interested in this subject, yes. given his lectures at MIT and so forth, so it's it's eyes on from them. It's also analogous in some ways to the carbon markets as well, right, where there's a, a, a greater desire to avoid these things being calculated as royalties and then secu- therefore securities, right? And, as, and I think the answer to all of this is the better, the more clarity around what these things are, and presumably it comes in the fashion of, industry engaging with the regulators to, to work together on this, then actually, we, we should be able to unlock these opportunities more quickly. Because I think, you know, certainly something that's come on time and time again, is in the same way that carbon markets might be unlocking that energy transition, Gordian knot, blockchain technologies are potentially a, a, a great way of unlocking some of the challenges around trading commodities as yeah. well with greater transparency.
1: Yeah, I mean there are so many use cases for blockchain technology, and it is concerning because it does get kind of looped in with the the concerns around digital assets and cryptocurrency. You know, it's it's almost as though you might throw the baby out with the bathwater because you you don't like you're concerned about the products that are that are being um bought and sold using the technology, but yet the technology uses you know, go far beyond that. So it is trying to find a way to do this where we're not going to stifle the innovation, we're not going to kill this, you know, technology in its infancy, that we're not going to drive it offshore and, you know, kind of fall behind. So it is a difficult needle to thread. And what concerns me right now is it seems to be that needle is kind of being thread through enforcement actions.
0: The judiciary is not best equipped to be making decisions on how these markets should operate. Right. As you say, we, we, you know, you want to make sure that um, we're, we're unlocking legitimate enterprise and there's clear rules as opposed to, yeah, as you you know, otherwise Switzerland will become the, the de facto home, which it already is because it has much more advanced regulation on this stuff for these blockchain startups and technologies and to the detriment of uh, the United States and, and other markets,
1: and this is an area where we really do need elected officials to to act, and I think they are trying very hard. And you know, we might we might see legislation kind of come together in the next next year, maybe probably more likely the next Congress. But you know, until then, it is it's very uncertain. It, it's it's tough, um, and I think again, I I do think. That Congress, the administration, they they see it, they realize it, and and they're trying.
0: Well, it's been a, a fascinating discussion. Thank you for coming on. I think um, I think it will be a heartening listen to our community on that the that the, the CFTC is thinking about all of these challenges, and uh, you know, is engaging the community to be able to to solve them, you know, and uh, and hopefully we can have you back on. Summer in the uh, in, next year, and, and see where we land on we're landing on some of these challenges.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, um, you know, anyone is listening, feel free to reach out to my office. We have an open door policy, and the way I learn how to do my job better is to hear from folks who are in the markets day to day.
0: Fantastic, and I, I can share a link to where people can find your contact details uh, on the on the in the Wonderful. show. Wonderful. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and HC Group, a search and advisory firm dedicated to the commodity markets, visit our website at www.hcgroup.global. There you can find out more about our services and our offices around the world. There you can also find more content from interviews to insight pieces to more podcasts focused on the commodity value chains. Thanks again for listening.